Welcome to the Skeptic Wire. Good, we're rolling. There's something wrong here. I don't know what to do. I'm not sure either. Um. Can't quite put my finger on. Yeah, something's missing. Harpo, what's going on? She's not helping. Um. Did we forget something? I think we did. We know the episode number. It's episode 109. Okay, we know the date. It's uh, May 8th? May 8th, yeah. yes. okay. Yeah, May 8th. Um, we didn't change the time for the recording. Yeah. We didn't change the place. We're... What? Yeah. No, that's not it. Not it at all. Well, um... I got, I, I got I, nothing. Oh, crap. We forgot Gary. Where's Gary? Go to his Facebook page? Yeah, maybe he's updated. Had an accident? No. Stuff about coffee. Stuff about a big angry fish thing. Coffee. Coffee. Wine. Coffee. Ah, no accident listed. What? Maybe... Maybe he's finally found proof of aliens and has been abducted. I hope he sends us a postcard. Wish you were here. <laughs> <laughs> no, just a nice little postcard. Welcome to Mars. Having a great time. Wish you were here. Or or maybe he got abducted by them, like the reptilians. or The draconian reptilians that are taking over everything? Yeah, the men in black kind of thing. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, he can bring back proof. He can. He's a pioneer. Of finding evidence of actual conspiracies and supernaturalness. He'll get on Alex Jones. On Alex Jones, literally, or? On his show. Oh, no one wants that. He would get the Million Dollar Randy Prize, maybe. True. That would be kind of cool. And you could share it with us. Probably no, not. Probably not. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I know, Gary, because, you know, he's a grad student, and what would he do with a million dollars? Grad student! <gasps> It's May. He's doing school stuff. Finals. Oh, Oh, okay. That makes total sense now. (laughs) Oh, well. Okay. So So we we know where Gary is, but how do we do this? I mean, he's been the person who's been doing the intro to the show for the last year and a half or so. Okay, hold on. I got it. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the Skeptic Choir. This is, this is episode 109 on the 8th of May, year 2013. Yay! Well, we figured out where Gary is. Hope that he is having as less of a stressful time as he might be having. Because you know what it's like to be in grad school. Yes. And so I really hope for him that coffee or wine or whatever he needs is flowing freely and that he gets everything done. And we will actually see him in two weeks. Yeah. Well, maybe we should send him over an adamneve.com uh, gift basket or something. 
Yeah, he might need that once finals are over. <laughs> it's a little de-stressing, you know. I got it. All right. So, what's going on with you, Greg? Um, on some of our personal pages, some of your beloved hosts update regularly about stuff. Like Gary has his Coffee Chronicles. Donna, you have your tales Those of your uh, crazy street preacher neighbor. Yes. Which the I CSPN. Think you have some stuff on that and whatever, but I th- part of me is trying to decide if I should start my own chronicles because apparently I need to start one, which is why is everybody trying to kill me on the highway in chronicles? San Antonio? Uh, it, just in general, but uh, yes, it happens most often in San Antonio because I'm living here right I'm now. I was going to say, and there might be a reason why it would be San Antonio. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I nearly got T-boned at a light today. It turned green. I was moving into the intersection, and some schmucko decided Does, to re- run the red light and make a left turn. Well, I'm very glad that you didn't get hurt. So am I. <laughs> I am still alive, folks, for now. <laughs> but I'm going to have to change my little story of the crazy street preacher neighbor. Because he's no longer crazy? No. Because he's no longer a preacher? No. Because oh. he's no longer going to be my neighbor. Yay! He is moving... And I can honestly say, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I I don't like him. (laughs) I I followed that part of it. Well, Uh, his drumming at 10 o'clock in the morning, which I understand it's not quiet hours and everything else, but on times when I work nights... That's um, fucking annoying. Right. Basically, there's a lack of common courtesy. I get that. I'm not, I'm not and, and that kind of flows through the idea of the people trying to kill me on the highway, which is... Well, it is San Antonio, and San Antonio drivers are a unique substance, I think. I've lived in many places in this lovely country of ours. Everywhere you go, there are going to be people who are trying to kill you on the roadways. Yeah. It's all... In different areas, it's different make and model cars you have to look out for because here in texas it's all about the big truck or the muscle cars yeah I like the mustangs the gtos whatever you want to call them in los angeles it's all the mercedes and the bmws and who think they own the road well it's different cars you have to look out for but it's also for different reasons in los angeles it's because you don't enter their world Everybody's so caught up in their own bubble of they're driving while talking on a cell phone, while breastfeeding their baby, putting on makeup and eating a bran muffin while driving a stick shift. Yes, because we get those in in, uh, San Francisco, Monterey area where I grew up. But that's mostly probably because they're still. But you know what? Here's the thing with like in San Francisco, Monterey, they actually avoid people. Because they're afraid that if you're not driving a Mercedes, a BMW, a Ferrari, a Land Rover, they're afraid you don't have enough insurance. So they actively <laughs> avoid you, yeah. which is kind of nice. Where here in Texas is just kind of the macho, I got a truck, or I got my uh, uh, muscle car, and, and I'm going to... I'm macho, so I'm going to win. Right. And my personal favorite is the guy that drives all the way to the almost to the intersection to get into the turn lane. And because he drives the Denali or the big F-250 dual cab, whatever thingy mabob with the truck, that's because he has a bigger car. He just thinks that, well, God damn it. I can get in there myself. (laughs) Who cares about being polite and rules of the road? Everybody's just going to get out of your way. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I drive a little tiny car. (laughs) 
little tiny. It's a little roller skate. I, I understand that. Mm-hmm. I don't drive a big car myself. So that that that's my week. But at least your neighbor's moving away. Yes. And I have a short commute. And I'm getting ready to take two weeks off from work to dedicate to a movie. Cool. Um, I'm working on a movie called Now Hiring. It's a comic book movie. So it's, you know, totally based in real life. <laughs> but it's fun, and I'm getting to work with somebody that I've, I've wanted to work with for a very long time. I can't say his name right now. <laughs> but he does put me two degrees of separation from Joss Whedon, so I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> And so you're working on your nerd cred, I guess. Yes, I'm still working on my nerd cred. And actually, on let's see, yesterday, I had lunch with two of our listeners. Oh, cool. Uh, Nina and John. Hi, and listeners. They had a great time. We went out to lunch and just had a great time talking about geeky, nerdy, sciencey, skeptic stuff. Cool. So. We always enjoy meeting our listeners at conferences, and if they can make it down to San Antonio for one of our studio audience shows. shows. Well, speaking of live, we're going to do birthday now of someone who's not alive. Oh, I'm sorry. Today, May 8th, born in 1911. Do you know who was born in 1911? Uh, Jelly Bean, Bo, Bob, Herkimer, Bubble Puppets. I don't know. No, not even close. Um, <laughs> okay, I need another clue. Okay, this person died at the age of 27, so he did not live a long life, but fairly rich and full, kind of. Now, okay, here's my question. Is he, for skepticism, is he a good, a bad, or an ugly? Um, he himself is a neutral. Okay. He is a musician. Um, and the, the, the neutral about him is... A story grew up around him. He threw apple seeds out and lots of trees grew? No. I hope this is the final hint. Maybe Gary would have gotten this quicker, but... Because I'm, yeah, not a musician. Crossroads. Okay. Mm. Nope. No clue. Well, the story that is skeptically related that grew up around him, it's a fascinating kind of skeptical research into how one of these stories gets just ballooned out of proportion and there's no original sources so you can't find how much he talked about it where the actual event took place or if it actually did supposedly he sold his soul to the devil in order to be able to play the guitar well okay i know who you're talking about but i you're can't blanking come, on the name i'm totally blanking on the name you're blanking on the name robert johnson cool born today may 8th 1911 and he passed away August 16th, 1938, so only 27 years, as I said. He... At least he sold his soul for something good, because <laughs> I sell mine for a cookie right now. <laughs> so one of the stories is that he always wanted to play the guitar and that sort of thing, and he was told by a stranger or someone to go out to the crossroads in the middle of the night and just start picking at the guitar as best he could. Um, and supposedly this large man came by, asked to see the guitar, tuned it up, played a couple tunes, handed it back to him, and miraculously Robert Johnson could play like a master. There's also another story where more that he was playing in the graveyard and the, he was given these super 
duper powers or whatever. The story itself seems to grow from the idea that when he left his home type area, he was okay. He could play the guitar, but he was kind of mediocre. And a couple years later, he came back around through and was really, really good. So the idea so he that probably had lessons and practice. Yes, one of the stories that came up that maybe led to the whole graveyard story was that he and another blues guitarist, uh, Zimmerman or Zinnerman, would play in the middle of the night in the cemeteries because they wouldn't be disturbed. It was a quiet place that could be away from everybody. And uh, supposedly Johnson took lessons from this guy for a year or two. So that kind of may be where the story came from. And maybe uh, Robert Johnson kind of played it up a bit, had fun with it. Like, oh, yeah, I sold my soul to the devil to be able to play the guitar well. And there's all sorts of other things of the crossroads have to deal a lot with a certain African god. Um, I can't remember the name of the god at this point, but that it ties more into that than it is to the Christian idea of the god and the devil and how that story has changed over time. Uh, it's just interesting to go back and see these kind of stories and how they grew. And even just a hundred years ago that we really don't have the details on this and we can't really prove much of anything one way or the other. Uh, it's an interesting story, but be skeptical and yeah, probably didn't sell his soul to the devil. Supernatural stuff. Not really real, but. Apply Occam's razor yes. to your thinking. So that is why I picked him as a skeptical birthday today. Well, happy birthday, Robert Johnson. Yay! Yay! We're sorry, you're dead. <laughs> yes. So um, one of the things I saw that you wanted to talk about is apparently about a whole bunch of other people that died. Yes! This is going to be a kind of a depressing episode because it's all about people who died or were thought of dead or who... Okay, first dead, of all, it's just... Or, or, or certain famous personalities who are dead inside, and that's why they do the things they do. But. Okay, so first off, listeners, we apologize. This is apparently the death episode. As many of you know, I have a degree in forensic anthropology, and there is actually this really neat story that just came out this week where we're seeing the intersection of science and history. Captain John Smith, who was kind of the leader of the Jamestown settlement in Virginia, which we're all kind of familiar with in American history. Which was when? Uh, 1624, he wrote this. So if you've seen Pocahontas, the crappy (laughs) Disney movie, he's the guy in love with Pocahontas. Okay. He was basically in charge of this small establishment where settlers were coming in to basically rape the land and send money back to Mother England before we said, screw you, and we're forming our own country. Gotcha. Um, And he wrote in his journal, and I'm going to quote here, So great was our famine that a savage we slew and buried. The poor sort took him up again and ate and eat him, John Smith wrote. One amongst the rest did kill his wife, powdered her, and had eaten part of her before it was known, for which he was executed as he well deserved. Now, whether she was better roasted, boiled, or carbonadoed, which I probably just screwed no, that word up. but I have no idea what that is. I know not, but of such a dish as powdered wife, I'd never heard of. And like so the, powdered donut? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I don't know, maybe dry rubbed? Salted to preserve it? Yes, that's actually what I think he was talking about. But okay. He wrote these words, and so there was always a suspicion of cannibalism in the Jamestown. Because there was a pretty, I don't know how else to put it, but ghastly 
period of famine and cold winters. And these people were from England and were kind of unprepared <laughs> for what they were facing. There is a project called the Jamestown Rediscovery Project, and they're always doing digs and looking into the history of Jamestown to see if they can match up what they have in the written record to actual science. So we have this account from John Smith of a couple hundred years ago of, oh, there was cannibalism and... No proof. There's there's no concrete proof yet, but they're still looking to see what trash piles we might find, what burial sites we might find, that sort of thing. Funny you should say trash piles. When they went in and they were doing you know excavations, they excavated a cellar, and they found bones of dog and squirrel, and, well, they found some human bones, too, which was, you know, kind of out of the ordinary because generally these good Christians buried their dead. So they started running some tests, and they determined that it was a 14-year-old girl. They've affectionately named her Jane. Kind of a Jane Doe kind of thing? Probably. What they found when they did isotope analysis of her teeth, they found that that she was from England, that her diet showed a primarily kind of meat and grain sort of diet. So maybe she was a lot more recent arrival to the colony? Probably a, a recent arrival. Isotope analysis generally goes back about five years. I mean, she could have been there for two years, but because I don't have the details, all I know is there what they're saying is is that it showed a definitive English diet. So I don't know if that meant there was tea or something. <laughs> well, it may also have meant that she was of English descent because that was an English colony anyway, so right. they tried to maintain the same diet when they got there, even if they failed abysmally with famine and stuff. But what they also found was chop marks to her cranium. Maybe your first thought with the chop mark is, oh, she got murdered and dumped in a trash bin. But right. it seems like from what you said on the article, that there's more than just a simple, oh, she got murdered and dumped. Right. There's these very hesitant chop marks on her frontal part, so her forehead. You know, like, whoever killed her was like, I'm not so sure I should be doing this, but whack, whack, whack. So hesitation, but not, like, fighting back marks. Right. And then on the left side of her skull, it looks like somebody basically punctured her skull, ripped through, and basically so they could extract the brain, which is actually one of the highest sources of protein. I think there was an article recently about how they thought that early human ancestors had a a taste for brains. Yeah, sub-Saharan Africa and in Central America, like with the Wari, where there is evidence of cannibalism. There's evidence that it happened. This is kind of one of those first times that it happened on American soil and, you know, not just because whoever it was was bat crap crazy and prion diseases. Well, there was the Donner Pass thing, which was much later, of course, but it was people in a desperate situation. So they weren't necessarily bat crap crazy. Right. You know, people eat humans either because you're bat crap crazy Or you're in a desperate situation, which is what it's led to believe here happened. Because, I mean, they were literally running out of food. People were dying right and left in this establishment. They needed whatever food they could get. And, you know, women at the time were still considered property. 
So it may be that she actually was murdered and then eaten? or yeah. Or is it possible that she was just about to die anyway? Right. We don't know. There's... How, how much of her her bones were found? Um, Quite a bit, actually. Most of her skull, if you go on the... Um, cosmiclog.nbcnews.com has a really, I mean, honestly, I think it's a hot picture. I just think it's so <laughs> great. Picture of her skull. And when you look at her skull, I mean, you can see the dental caries. You can see evidence of poor health. There's there's some pitting that would suggest that she, there was a lack of iron in her diet and, you know, a couple other things. Small bone of the leg, which is what they use to estimate, like, her height from her teeth, they could kind of estimate her age. I mean, there wasn't a lot found, but there was basically just enough. Enough to identify, but maybe didn't find the rib cage, so didn't see the big knife yeah. mark of being stabbed mm-hmm. through the chest or something Right, like exactly. That. And they've done a pretty good facial reconstruction of her. She was, I mean, quite a lovely young lady. Oh. She's been dead for over 300 years. Some of us are that desperate. <laughs> Good to know. As we devolve our show into necrophilia. <laughs> I'm kidding, folks. I'm kidding. Well, and, about and like the I necrophilia said, part. Yeah. It's like I said, it's a really fascinating story. And once again, we have history meeting science. And it's really neat to see, like you were saying, those legends, those myths that we've all heard about. Because, I mean, in anthropology, this story is kind of infamous. You know, ooh, cannibalism in Jamestown, ooh. It's almost like a mother load. It's one of those, <gasps> they found it. It's, it's one of those situations where you can never disprove it, it didn't happen, yeah. but you can prove it did happen. Yes. Where, with the Robert Johnson thing, you can't disprove that he met the devil on a crossroads in the middle of the night, but you can... You could prove it if it did happen, or you can say the first instances of that story are in the press at this point, which makes marks that more of its origin point, and then you can follow how the story changed over time. And you look at the diary of John Smith to say, this is the first time we heard of this, what other corresponding records are out there, and then, okay, if there aren't, we just have to keep looking for phys- physical proof, and it looks like yeah. we found something that is pointing to... Not just alluding to, maybe suggesting, but looks like actual forensic evidence. And I want to say something about Doug Owsley, who is the lead forensic anthropologist on this case. Forensic anthropology and personally science owes this man a huge thank you. Not just for this. This is the man who went up against the federal government in the case of the Kennewick Man. When Kennewick Man was discovered, it was during Bill Clinton's era... And there was a huge fight, and it was as NAGPRA, the Native American Graves Repatriation Act, was coming about. He basically fought the government to To get access to those bones. And these are bones that are dating back hundreds of thousands of years. And had the government had its way, those bones would have been repatriated back to the tribe that resides in that area of Washington State, and science wouldn't have ever touched them. He had to basically prove that they weren't Native American. And during that time, the government did 
just about everything it could to A, sully his reputation and B, destroy evidence because they actually raised the site where Kennewick Man was found. We don't know, but it could have led to oodles and oodles of scientific information. So I'm glad to see him getting some some recognition for the work that he does. Thank you, Doug Owsley. He's featured in all the articles. So in the last couple seasons, the TV show Bones has gotten really, really horrible. It's turned into this pseudoscientific kind of soap opera thing. I know, and I, I wish it would go back to, like, the first three seasons. Yeah, maybe we can fire the the whole cast and start over with more of a Doug Owsley kind of person and yeah. tell his story and rescue the reputation of forensic anthropologists <laughs> from... The horror story that is that TV show now. Yeah, I know. I was just watching an episode the other day, and I, I kind of quit watching it a couple of years ago. I mean, I, I loved the show when it first came on because it it really did kind of say, hey, look. And it, it, it was science-y. It was very science And it was, I guess, when she was going to have the baby, and she didn't want to have it in a hospital. And I'm all like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> She's all rational and scientific and believes in modern medicine and then all of a sudden doesn't. Right. And I was all like, okay, you all have jumped the shark. There was a more recent episode where one of the interns in the Jeffersonian Institute that they're at got exposed to a disease. They were trying to figure out what was going on. It was problematic, and he was on death's door or whatever. And the conspiracy theorist guy decided that he was going to put together a remedy for this other intern that was dying. Oh, my God. Because I love Conspiracy Theory Guy. So he decided that he was going to research all the healing plants out of Africa and essentially ground together all he could find, everything that said it was fever-reducing or fights bacteria, anything that ever got any reputation for that, and essentially boiled it together into a soup. And then they injected the guy with this. Not like he drank it or he ate it or he sniffed vapors. They put it in a syringe and injected him with it. He started getting better. They couldn't even IV it? No, no, just an injection. Boom, done. So I I was really kind of annoyed with the pseudoscience in that. And the same day that I watched that, I watched an episode of Criminal Minds where the evil person was a naturopathic practitioner. And you were going, yes, yes, finally, these people (laughs) shown in the light that they truly are. Yeah, well, I really like Criminal Minds, but I have a thing for Shamar Moore. I think he's really hot. Agent Morgan. Seriously, he could take his shirt off a little bit more often. (laughs) (laughs) I admit it. I watch it for non-scientific reasons. It could be worse, but at least it's not flagrantly pseudoscientific like some of them. And they do actually go in and they're all like, okay, we have an idea, but we can't prove it. Right. They, They talk a lot in statistical probabilities of, well... It's more likely to be a male because females are less likely to be serial killers. Okay, that makes it more. Or right. it's likely to be somewhere from 30 to 45 years old because of statistics or something right. like and that. Right, and that's what I appreciate about Criminal Minds. Like I said, I, I thought Bones jumped the shark a long time ago, <laughs> and I kind of quit watching. But although I came home from work early today and it was on, if it's there and there's nothing else on TV, I will turn it on. But I am, I'm just like... You were so good in the beginning. (laughs) So speaking of horrible pseudoscientific 
twiffle and <laughs> criminal minds and horrible people. Sylvia Brown. Oh, sorry. Uh, you might want to have that looked at. Yeah. Most of you guys know already that a 16-year-old girl was abducted in 2003 named Amanda Berry. She was tracked for many, many years in the press and uh, was a big story in the Cleveland area because this 16-year-old girl was just working in a Burger King, called her mom, said, oh, I got a ride home, and disappeared. A couple years after the abduction, Amanda Berry's mother, uh, Luana, went on the Montel Williams show to talk to psychic Sylvia Brown. Sylvia basically said, She's not alive, honey. Your daughter's not the kind who wouldn't call. Suddenly she's Irish? Heavy-duty smoking Oh, she's Irish? a heavy-duty smoking person, so I was trying to get that gravel in there. She said, your daughter, she's in heaven and on the other side. And her last words were, goodbye, Mom. I love you. Well, as we all know, um, a couple days ago, Amanda Berry was able to break free of her captors with the help of a friendly neighborhood Good Samaritan. Charles Ramsey. Yes, and was able to help fellow captives Gina Diseases and Michelle Knight, as well as Amanda Berry's six-year-old girl, to escape this house and get away from their captors. So Sylvia Brown was completely and utterly wrong. It's not like it's a first for no, her. No, it definitely is not. If you go to csicop.org and basically go into theirs, this is the Center for Inquiry. It's an affiliate. And you basically Google Sylvia Brown. They have a history of her failure. This was published in March and April of 2010, so it's a couple of years old. But they have a long list of things that Sylvia Brown was wrong about. He's living in Canada, and he was bumped on the head, and then, you know, has amnesia. No, he was dead. And the fascinating part about that is Sylvia Brown always claims that, oh, I'm not always right, but between 85 and 90% of the time, I'm right. And yet the examples they gave, at least on the, the PSYCOP site and a couple other places that I've seen, have shown that there's never been a proved case where she... Just narrowing it down to criminal cases where there's a missing person, she has never given any information that has helped in any way, shape, or form. And more often than not, like all these cases, she has been dead wrong. She's either been dead wrong or it's been inconclusive. One of the most famous previous problems is that in 2002, I think it was, a boy named Sean Hornbeck was abducted, according to Sylvia Brown, also on the Montel Williams show, said, oh, he's going to be found in a wooded area between two large boulders, and that he was kidnapped by a very tall, quote-unquote, dark-skinned man with dreadlocks. And it turned out the child was found in 2007 very much alive, and he had been abducted by a Caucasian man and was living in Missouri, and the, the, didn't even write, drive the same car that Sylvia was talking about. She she always gets all these details wrong, but still claims that she gets it right most of the time. Right. And, you know, probably one of the most famous cases that she's pontificated about is Chandra Levy. You know, the, the intern that turned up missing in D.C. and everything else. And she was all, oh, her body is going to be found in some trees down in a marshy area. I'm going to quote from Psychop here. She made this prediction when it was public knowledge that the police were searching the Rock Creek Park since someone used Chandra Levy's computer to find directions to that park. Benjamin Radford noted 
The remains were found across a steep incline in a heavily wooded area, perhaps near some trees, but clearly not in a marshy area, since a marsh located on an incline is geographically impossible. There was a famous radio example where, I think it was the miner's trap, where when she first went on the radio that day, they thought that they were the miners were alive and that they were going to be found, and the radio host said, so what do you think? What, you know, what were your psychic vibes? And she said... No, I, I knew they would be found all along. And then in the course of that same radio show, while they're sitting there talking, it comes out that, no, all but one of them are dead. Her post hoc kind of explanation is, well, I didn't say they'd be found alive. I just said they'd be found. The coal kind of found in a marsh. Well, there's water nearby. A lot of those kind of wiggle words Sylvia Brown uses, but a lot of these psychics use. Yeah. Now, we're obviously very pissed off about this because we know of Sylvia Brown. When I was, I think it was this year, this past year's Tam, Sylvia Brown was in Las Vegas at the same time Tam was, or she's there every year or something like yeah, that. Yeah, she, she used to have a kind of a standing engagement at Excalibur, but there's actually a guy. He runs a website called StopSylvia.com, and he has actually gone in and, like, petitioned Excalibur. And I guess she's been dropped from Excalibur. So, yay. And I highly recommend that we all go to StopSylvia.com and, you know, give it a nice rating on Web of Trust. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this out. And you <laughs> could go to Sylvia's website, and it's already a red circle. Let's just make sure we can keep it red. Yeah, so sylviabrown.com, Web of Trust, we're going to suggest, but not tell you, but we're going to suggest, give her a negative rating. She is not safe for people. Stop Sylvia, green circle. And he hasn't been updated recently, but it's my He's had some health issues. He's had health issues. But he's got tons of stories of people who have been duped by Sylvia Brown and there's actually a story of a I guess it's like a PA and two of them worked on the Montel Williams show and one of them worked on another show and they were like hey come sit in the Montel Williams show because we've got not all the seats are filled and hey it's Sylvia Brown come on and so as a joke she wanted to see if she could basically scam Sylvia Brown so she brought her friend, and she was all like, you know, I want to ask you about my friend who worked at the World Trade Center. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, sweetie, she died or, or something. And it was her friend that was sitting next to her. She goes on and everything else, and she was all like, well, it's kind of bullshit because here's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to produce evidence A for you. But they removed her from the show. They removed her friend from the show, basically said, get out or we're going to call the police. And they, when the show aired, any evidence of them being there was gone. In all the like pan shots of the audience, they never actually focused on the area that those two were sitting in. <laughs> or so, they cut out the portions where they had seen them. Right. That's very much that, oh, look, we made her look bad. And the, the girl who wrote it was like, you know what? Had I been smart and thought about it, I wouldn't have said anything until after it aired and then gone, oh, look, here's my friend. She's not really dead, is she? Yeah, that's true. Well, we as people in the skeptical movement have known about Sylvia Brown for years. We've known about her bullshit for years. We've protested at her shows in Vegas at TAM and stuff like that. Or Um, the other psychics, too, because there's what's-his-name 
a James lot of... James Von Pra. No, uh, I don't know if Von Pra, but the, uh, the guy that everybody John goes... Edwards. John Edwards. Where everybody gets the bingo cards. So wow. we've known about these people for, for years, and there's been a pretty public feud via Larry King Live and all that stuff between James Randi and Sylvia Brown about why won't she take the million dollar challenge, all that sort of stuff. One of the only good... Well, the good thing is that Amanda Berry and her and these co-captors were found alive. Another good thing to come out of the story is that Sylvia Brown and her ilk are getting a lot of bad, very, very mainstream public bad press about their, what a lot of people have called online, grief vampire tactics. Right. Well, welcome to social media. Yeah. You You know, 10 years ago, this wouldn't have been seen. Before MySpace and Facebook and Twitter. Or YouTube where you can see old clips. Right. And see exactly what she said and not let her lie about it. This backlash wouldn't have happened. It would have happened in basically pubs where people like you and I would be sitting there, you know, you drinking your Sylvia Coke. Brown, Sylvia Brown, Sylvia Brown. You know, and, and, you know, we'd be all like, we're going to write a letter to the Montel Williams show, you know. Somebody find a typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Ten years ago, typewriter, not so much. But I get your point entirely. Now it's immediate. Because when I heard about these three women being freed and everything else, I think it was within half an hour that it was being posted of this case was discussed on the Montel Williams show and Sylvia Brown got it wrong. Right. And I mean, it was immediate. And she's even had to go as far as taking down her Facebook page. I think they probably have deleted comments, even like permalink comments that you shouldn't be able to delete. They they have and stuff like that. Right. So if you go to Facebook and you look up Sylvia Brown, really interesting website, draconian reptilian iguana leader or something. Yeah, that's not I, the real Sylvia Brown. Right. It's it's very funny, and I highly recommend our listeners just go and look it up. Just yeah, that that would be the laps. Sylvia Brown public figure, which only has about a thousand likes. The quote-unquote real Sylvia Brown California psychic is just a person, and there's also an author page or something like that. It's The public figure page is some weird conspiracy theory, Christian dominionism kind of weird jargon that I can't tell if it's real or not. I'm on the fence about whether or not I want it to be real, because <laughs> I just, I go there and I just giggle, it's saying that... Prince Williams is the false messiah and, and all Obama's of Obama's <laughs> Satan. It's got the whole ball of wax there. And apparently there was a post a couple of days ago of, I am not that Sylvia Brown or something like that. But the public figure's profile picture is of Sylvia Brown. Yeah, so, I can see where somebody you know might get confused by that. And it's just weird. It's all in caps lock and the whole thing. But anyway, that's a digression. <laughs> yeah, it's a total digression. I'm just saying, check it out. Have some fun. It's, it's nice to kind of, you know, go... Oh, really? And it's good that all my skeptical friends, I've seen them post something about Sylvia Brown psychic fraud, Sylvia Brown psychic fraud, so that all their other friends who are not involved in the skeptical movement are shown just how horrible people like Sylvia Brown can be. And it's unfortunate, in my point of view, that in the mainstream press, most of it is kind of with the bent of Sylvia Brown was fraudulent and told the mother that the child was dead when she was really alive. 
as if Sylvia Brown knew better. Right. Sylvia Brown just makes stuff. Yeah, she makes stuff up out of whole cloth. She either cold reads or hot reads, which is cold reading is you kind of guess at, oh, there's a a name with an M with it, and there's water nearby, and a rock with it. And that's what you've heard us talk about earlier, but she could also hot read, which would be Googling someone before you go to the press or Montel Williams to say, Oh, well, I, there's something to do with Burger King. I don't know what's going on. Well, yeah, you, you, you look someone up and found out what was in the press beforehand to say, yeah, they were abducted from Burger King. And then you get a hit and the people think, oh my God, she's a psychic. There is one other thing that I do want to talk about specifically with these three young women being found. And that is Charles Ramsey. Here is a guy who stood up and did the right thing. I hate that the press, the interviews that he gave were very funny. He's a very funny guy. It does happen a lot that the press will hone in on whoever is the most, let's just put it, colorful character. Right. He's already been auto-tuned. It is the hide your women guy. It does seem that a lot of these witnesses turned into memes often happen a lot to disadvantaged African-American people. But I have to say this. I think that this man is a hero. We've discussed it before where hero is a word that you shouldn't throw around very often. But this is a guy who has already said they were like, you're probably getting some reward money because you helped find these three women. He flat out today on Anderson Cooper said, I don't need the reward money. They need it. They need it. They need to get started with their life and and, and everything else. And I'm like, how many people would say that? He's like, I've got a steady job. I, I don't need the money. You're going into the situation where someone is banging on the door saying, I've been kidnapped for 10 years. I've been on the news. That's apparently what she was yelling at the point. Generally, at that point, you believe what someone is yelling. They look that panicked. But he had no idea if the kidnapper was home or if there were guns involved or booby traps or whatever. Right. He said, fuck this, I'm helping this person. Right. And in a domestic violence episode, especially because that's what all of the neighbors were thinking when this banging and yelling started, was that it's a domestic violence incident. Most people want to shut their doors, close their windows, turn up their TV, and ignore it. That's a not-in-my-backyard problem. I don't want to deal with it and everything else. If she gets shot, he gets shot. Oh, well, too bad, so sad. Not going to deal I'm with it. I'm not getting involved because then I, might, I might be drawn into it. Right. Might get hurt. Exactly. This guy, Charles Ramsey, said, screw that. Somebody needs help. And it's my understanding is basically they had to like kind of force the door open and like kick out the bottom part so she could crawl through. There are some pictures in the news of this house that is a little dilapidated. It looks a little bit like it was a foreclosed house. People thought it might have been empty, but there were lights on, whatever. And you can see the front door is basically screen and stuff and ripped apart because it was chained closed or something. You could only get a couple like fingers through the crack in the door or something like that. She had broken through an inner door on her own and then got this help where he had to come across the street to the front door of this house yeah. to rescue her. And that is that is a wonderful thing. You know, he called 911. He got neighbors to call 911. I've not listened to the 911 tapes. I've only kind of seen a couple of the transcripts. And they were basically like, she's been missing. Because the first thing when she said her name was, he was like, it didn't register at first. And then he was all like, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be dead? 
You know, <laughs> oh, he's man. like, he's all like, she's all like, no, I've been trapped in this house for 10 years. You know, help me get my daughter out. And when she got out, she was all like, no, there are more people in there. And he's arguing with the 911 operator. No, send police, send them now. I've read so far that a lot of the neighbors were talking about, oh, we've called about that house before. Apparently, the police don't have any records of having been called to the house for any sort of suspicious activity. There's two cases. One, where there might have been a domestic abuse report, where it might have been with his ex-common-law wife or the mother of his children. But the other one was he's a school bus driver, and he apparently accidentally left a kid on a bus when he dropped it off at the depot. Right. So they just went there to interview him. They didn't see anything suspicious. It's not like there's a big sign that says slave dungeon inside <laughs> or they heard chains rattling. It's interesting to see the neighbors conflict with themselves in their stories of, well, he seemed like just a normal guy. He would come to the barbecues. Our kids would drive on his 4 by 4 around the street just as kind of joyrides on the weekends kind of thing. He seemed like a normal guy. But on the other hand, either thinking that they should have known better or said, I was oh, I was kind of suspicious or something like that, or blaming the police for saying, well, they should have known. Right. And that was the one thing I had to say, Charles Ramsey, he was like, you know, I did. I barbecued with this guy. We ate ribs together. He didn't play into that. He was all like... I thought he was a normal guy. There was no reason for me to suspect any different until I heard the screaming. So the main culprit in this situation who allegedly has done this was Ariel Castro. Uh, he has two brothers, O'Neill and Pedro, who lived in the house or something like that. It's Ariel Castro who was charged today with four counts of kidnapping, including Amanda Berry's daughter, who probably was his daughter as well, and three counts of rape on the adult women. This man, Castro, apparently has like a cousin who has a maybe a newspaper shop or something a couple blocks away or something. This cousin had no idea. Family members had no idea. The, yeah. the mother of his children said he was abusive, but that's why she left him 10 years ago, which maybe was a, if you're the thinking, catalyst. going back to criminal minds, you assume that's the trigger. That's yeah. what made him break and decide he wanted to kidnap and control someone. Because as much as this probably was, okay, I'm going into thickets of conjecture and who knows, whatever, but it probably was less about sexuality in this situation and more about control over somebody, keeping someone under lock and key so they can't leave, yeah. like his non-wife, mother of his children did. This guy had a great public persona. Like you said, he went to barbecues, the, did the 4 by 4 thing. Everybody thought he was a normal guy. And most people do think that their neighbors are a normal guy. I have some I neighbors. <laughs> I have some neighbors who don't like me because I yell at them about not having their dog on a leash. I've talked about it 50 times on this show. But they just think I'm an annoying jerk about that. Maybe they think I'm a little obnoxious because I tell them off for it. But nobody thinks anybody on their block is a murderer. You don't think it's anywhere near where you live. It's back to that not in my backyard thing. I mean, we live in relatively nice areas. So when shit like this happens, you don't expect it. That's the sort of stuff that happens, oh, in that other part of town with those people. Most likely, if you're going to be murdered, it's by a close family or friend. Yeah. So let's just remember that next time you're sitting around your Thanksgiving Day table... Just think about that. Your potential murderers are right there, smiling.
yeah. eating a turkey leg. Keep that in mind, listeners. <laughs> we do. We have a great sense of othering in this society. Of can't happen here. It's going to be somewhere else. And this just proves it happens. Guess yeah. what? Your next door neighbor could have buried his wife in the backyard. <laughs> well, even uh, so, there's first the psychological idea of it can't happen to me. It's too close to me. It, that happens somewhere else. Some other town is where that happens. But there's also the idea of I may be kind of crossing my stories here, but as a psychology student, there's a pretty famous story. I think it's of Kitty Genovese. It's a pretty notorious story that you learn about in Psych 101 or social psychology type courses. I think it was just this New York City area, and right in front of this big apartment building, this woman was being robbed and murdered. And I think it's this Kitty Genovese person. There were 40 or 50 people who heard this happening, but nobody called 911. Nobody intervened. No one called the police or anything like that. The standard explanation of it is everybody else thought that someone else would help. Yeah. It's a great situation that Charles Ramsey actually did intervene and did something about it. But we know this fact about people that they will ignore stuff that they see. That's right in front of them. Yeah, this horrible guy, Ariel Castro, allegedly, would go to people's barbecues and give rides to the kids on his 4x4 or something like that. But nobody ever went to his house. He never hosted anything himself. You ignore that information and just think about, well, he seems a nice guy when I see him. It's like from Shawshank Redemption. How often do you look at a guy's shoes? Yeah. You ignore information that doesn't seem to stand out. If he had been running down the street every weekend with a meat cleaver going, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, people might have said something. But right. he didn't do that because as good as we are as ignoring other people's problems, we humans are, can be very good at compartmentalizing and being that good public face where at home we're a completely different person. But like I said, I do believe that Charles Ramsey is a hero for stepping up, doing the right thing. I am sad to see him being becoming the internet meme. Yeah, he's being turned into a clown. I mean, his interview was very funny. I mean, just he was going for some laughs in it. He looks like he's a very jovial, nice person, but he did step up. He did do the right thing. And like I said, if he's offered a reward, he has already said he's going to turn it down. And these young ladies, these young women who need to get back home with their lives deserve it. Yeah, you've had a lot of press surrounding these women. But fortunately, it seems like most of the press is giving them enough of a wide berth for now. But this is only two days into the story. I know that they were just recently released from the hospital. There's some information that we do already have about things like there were chains and ropes to hold them there. They were never allowed to leave the house. Maybe once or twice they were able, able to walk around the backyard or maybe in the garage. Apparently, there's been evidence that there was multiple sexual assaults. And obviously, there is a daughter of one of these victims. One of the other older victims, I think it's Michelle Knight, who's the eldest of the three. I think there was some story about there might have been a fourth woman there who is not there anymore, who disappeared. So we don't know what happened there. Yeah. There's a lot of information we haven't had. So far, no crazy kind of conspiracy or anything like that, but a lot of information about a really horrible person and also some really noble people in that people came to the rescue and also the strength of Amanda Berry herself. Not saying that the other two weren't as strong, but after 10 years, her spirit was not broken enough that she was able to say, I'm going to get out of here. She found an opportunity. She took it. 
She ran with it, said enough is enough. I applaud her for that because I personally just cannot imagine, yeah. you know, this. And screw Sylvia Brown. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say that. There were some stories, I think, in the news this week about Rush Limbaugh apparently maybe on his way out from his radio station because he's lost so many sponsors since the incident a couple Sandra years ago Fluke. with the Sandra Fluke incident that he finally is basically earning his just desserts. That's great. Hopefully the same thing will stick with Sylvia Brown, that enough people are going to remember of the horrible taking advantage of that this woman has perpetrated, not just on these families, but when someone wants to look and find, well, what is this Sylvia Brown person? Who is she? And they find the lists of people that she has tried to dupe and 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 just kind of latched on to where I, I don't know if she's ever asked any of these parents of missing children or missing husbands, wives, oh, well, come to me, I'll do a private reading for a thousand bucks or anything like that. I don't know. It's a possibility, maybe, maybe not. But she has tried to latch her fame onto these cases of horrible, horribleness. And hopefully this kind of reputation will stick. Yeah. I think what disgusts me, especially about the Amanda Berry case, is that Luana Miller was not in good health at the time. She died shortly thereafter. There is reason to suspect that the stress of the Sylvia Brown explanation of what happened helped contribute. Right. She had some heart disease issues anyway. Heart disease, pancreatitis. You know, exactly. There was numerous health issues. But when you are just devastated and stressed and all that, it's not helping at all. And yeah. she may have just given up. Yeah. Screw Sylvia Brown. That's That's really <laughs> the closing argument that I want to make in this of... There are heroes in this story, and there are anti-heroes. And Sylvia Brown is, right now, to me, she's an emotional vampire. And screw Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I completely understand. So the, the what we have to do now as people in the skeptical movement, if you've taken the time to download a, our dinky little podcast because you're so much interested in skepticism that you want to hear what we're talking about, it's important for you to go out and do something. Even if it's just posting on your Facebook page a good story about all the lies that someone like Sylvia Brown or John Edwards or James Von Pra would do and how horrible this is of pretending like you have inside knowledge, playing off of people's grief. If you just post stuff about that on Facebook and let the people who are maybe fence-sitters know about these horrible things... Maybe we can change things over time. Same thing with the web of trust things. If someone says, well, what's the Sylvia Brown thing? And they have web of trust installed and they go to Sylvia Brown's website. The first thing they see is a big pop-up message saying, this is an unsafe site. But so, you go to Stop Sylvia and it's a nice safe site. Nice green ring. Yeah. Well, I do have one little other bit of sad news that I think we want to touch on. The retirement of Eugenie Scott the director of the National Center for Science Education. Um, she is also a forensic anthropologist. Yay! Just want to get that out there. <laughs> you know, we got to stick together here. After many years of hard service, um, she has personally come here to Texas to petition the government, the State Board of Education, on numerous occasions. I know the Skeptic Wire has had a chance to listen to her at TFC 2011, 
I've listened to her before in, in D.C. at conferences. She, she's been at TAM she's a few years, yeah. Awesome, awesome lady. And we're very sorry that she's retiring, but we hope that she enjoys her retirement. I know she said something about wanting to garden. <laughs> Good luck with that, because I have no luck with it. Hopefully she'll be able to help whoever's coming in next, and hopefully who's coming in next will be just as awesome as yes. she has been. Uh, but hopefully she can just putter around in a uh, her garden in a Hawaiian shirt and just relax. She deserves it. Yeah. You know, with all the hard work that she has done for promoting science education and promoting women getting into science education, that's amazing. She truly has been kind of a beacon in that respect. So have fun with your retirement. <laughs> you know, I don't know, plant some roses or tulips or something yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what else to say behind that since it's just you and me this week we're not going to do a lightning round no 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 not doing a lightning round Uh, damn it (laughs) i know you're because i would have (laughs) won because you're the only one here (laughs) i would have been queen of the skeptic wire (laughs) you usually are so we're not doing lightning round. We probably won't do it next week, will we? Because Gary's going to be on vacation. Taking a well-deserved rest after his uh, tough semester. Yes, he has had a very tough semester, and we are very proud of Gary for all of his hard work on his graduate degree. Having been there and done that, we applaud you, sir. <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> Says the one guy who doesn't have a graduate degree. I have a BA. So you graduated. (laughs) So we will not have Gary on next week. And then he's going to the American Humanist Association conference at the end of May. So look for Gary. You won't. I won't be there. I don't think Greg will be there. Okay. Well, I'm not going to the humanism conference, which is humanism mm-hmm. and secular coalition. Yes, yeah, or- secular coalition is sponsoring basically a day of training, which is wonderful because you know we encourage our listeners to get out there, educate yourself on secular issues and our government. Because kind of like all the Count's cheerleader issue, which had a decision today. (laughs) Maybe we'll get into that next week. Because we are very unhappy about this. Yes. But we are happy that you tuned in and downloaded us or whatever you want to call it. And we will, uh, we appreciate your time and we will talk at you next week. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's it. I think that's it. See you later, dear listener. Bye. Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the Podposted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. We have been... Hold on, time out. No. (laughs) No, Harpo, a deck of cards is not one of your toys. That's a new one. Okay. Did she just...
yeah. grabbed it off the shelf. No, it was on the floor, but she just went over and gingerly picked it up and walked over to near her bed. Okay, that's, that's fucking hilarious. Very cute, Harpo. You're jangling a lot. Well, you know how on on our personal Facebook pages, Donna has been chronicling. You mean me? I'm talking to the listeners, Donna. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't help okay. it. I, I, I have to. I have to upkeep the snark because we're one less snark. Oh, we've got plenty of snark. I know. The three of us are always brimming with snark, anyway. So on on our.